Listening Dog Media. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing. The Godfather at ChampaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Haley McQueen, and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule podcast with a glittering, sparkling Oscars theme this week. Did you watch the Oscars, ladies? By the way, I'm joined by Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay again. I watched it for the dresses. Hello, it's Kate. <laughs> um, I know that Hayley definitely watched it for the dresses. Oh, I didn't watch the actual Oscars. I'm not going to sit through that and find out about that in the papers the next day. But I literally sat through two and a half hours worth of red carpet stuff. Stuffing my face at the same time, yeah. <laughs> well, it has got a relevance to the Offside Rule because we're going to give... Give the Oscars a footballing makeover and we're going to have a few nominations for different categories. Uh, we're going to throw it out to our audience on the Twitter account at Offside Rule Pod. You can also check out our Facebook page after this broadcast as well. Broadcast? I'm getting big on myself, aren't I? <laughs> Way above your station. <laughs> after this podcast, uh, you can go on to the Facebook page, The Offside Rule as well, and we'll put some pictures and categories up. Uh, but do give us your thoughts later. That's all to come. Um, first of all, though, let's talk about the weekend's action it's all getting rather rather good in the Premier League I thought the last few weeks has been tantalising stuff uh, well I've picked out a couple of good games that I'm sure we'll have a very quick chat about um, Chelsea things don't look good for them at all do they 2-0 uh, against Manchester City Joe Hart saved another penalty after his heroics against Brazil and say what you like about him some people have criticised Hart for not being bang on top of his game uh, for the past few months but he's still top of the Premier League clean sheets table Romelu Lukaku as well two goals for West Brom. How many results do you think he has secured for West Brom uh, all by himself? Probably quite a few. In fact, they will probably be not where they are in the table right now were it not for him. I also wanted to mention, of course, the Capital One Cup final at Wembley. It was all more one-sided than we thought. We thought Bradford would put up a bit more of a fight. But Swansea, what a way to top their season. And I know the season isn't over, but for Michael Loudrup coming in, first season, first silverware for the club, the biggest win in League Cup final history. So they were also record breakers at the same time. And I thought it was just, I've loved the way that Swansea have been playing football. And I thought it was richly deserved that they got something for their mantelpiece on the end of it. Can I just say, uh uh-oh, for poor Jonathan Walters, who in the Premier League missed another penalty. Poor Jonathan Walters. And what did I say about Grant Holt? He is Norwich's rescue man. He scored in added time to earn Norwich the win. What did I say? He's the man to get Norwich's season back on track. I must also, Lindsay, mention Gareth Bale. What sensational form he's been in since the start of the new year. And that might come up later because I think Gareth Bale is now rivalling Haley's RVP for Player of the Year. It's all being decided this week as well. All the footballers are casting their votes. If you think about it, year. Yeah, he's been great the last few months, but year. <laughs> year. Okay. okay, this you're, is this is my argument. Yeah. Things have changed at the bottom of though of the table. I thought it was all nailed on for certain teams to look like they were gonna head into the drop zone. Wow, big results. West Brom, Sunderland. I didn't expect Sunderland to lose that one. They are slipping down the table as well. Bit unfortunate for them. Um, I think they're just about five points away from safety at the moment. Uh, 
other ones as well. Of course, uh, Reading. You've got Reading, who got beaten by Wigan. But three goals to nil and that was at home so I think they are again another side really really struggling just above QPR just below Aston Villa Hayley I just wanted to chat to you because obviously you were away last week we had Faker others filling your shoes just for the one off um, and we had a family affair theme father and son Paul Ince Tom Ince you go and do the interview you've gone and done that this week haven't you I have for the magazine Football 24-7 it was brilliant they gave me nearly an hour of their time spent the afternoon down there at Blackpool oh, well up there in Blackpool, uh, the seaside. Um, yeah, so they were brilliant. And actually, Tom spoke so well. He's got such a mature head and those teeny tiny little shoulders. I have one question for you. Do you think Tom has a major influence at Blackpool? Do you think he might have had something to do with the appointment? He seems to say yes. He was. <laughs> And actually, and Paul Ince thinks that the reason he was brought in was to keep Tom at Blackpool, that if he, in fact, went to Blackpool, (laughs) they'd have more of a chance of keeping hold of him. So they had a bit of a laugh about that. And he lives with his dad as well, which is quite cool. He's moved on into his flat. He said he didn't want him living on his own. It's only a couple of nights a week that he's, of course, down there. So they've got a really nice relationship. It's quite nice to see. Of course, ex-Wolves player. Wouldn't mind him at the Molyneux right now. Uh-huh. Well, talking of uh, oh. Blackpool and Wolves, we must look at the championship. First of all, yeah. Watford putting in a superb second half of the season charge, as we a- mentioned. As uh, predicted by Zoe Aminsky when yeah. she filled in for Haley before. Backed up by my stats. Thanks, Zoe, for mentioning <laughs> that. Uh, but what's going on at Wolves, uh, Lindsay? Suddenly, they've slipped into the relegation zone. Um, the team right at the bottom have got a game in hand, so there's a chance that they could slip a little bit further as well. I think it looks really, really bleak, actually. I am perfectly prepared and bracing myself for a double relegation. Can you imagine Wolves in League One? I mean, I can't. I want to stay positive. But at the moment, the players, their confidence is on the floor. Mm. And around the place, it hasn't got a great feel. There's some real problems up at the top. Um, I know there are lots of calls from fans to get Jez Moxie out, and that has been for a long while. Um Kevin Doyle came out, I read an, an interview with him this week um, where he said that he thought Stalas Olbacken wasn't given enough time and that he was trying to do different things. I don't want to point fingers at managers. I think it's really difficult since Mick McCarthy's dismissal to point it at anyone in particular. I think Terry Connor did his best. I think Stella Solbach and tried to change things and change the style of football. And I think Dean Saunders now is coming in and trying to just lift morale. But that might all be too little too late for this season and I'm absolutely in the doldrums about it and I would love to swap teams but I can't do you know what it is Wolves really sadly is an example of timing not giving your managers enough time and we've seen time and time again what happens when managers aren't given the time the too many changes and it just all goes to pot but the key point with what you're saying there and timing with Wolves is the timing of dismissals and the timing of appointments they're not just getting through people but when they choose to dismiss them just before the end of we're being relegated in the Premier League potentially the only person that could keep us up with a last ditch fight was Mick McCarthy but no we'll get rid of him with a few games to go I mean that was just stupid And then the appointment of Dean Saunders came at a really strange time this season. It's just timing is the key, yes. Could we possibly fit the word time or timing into any more sentences? Time after time. (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Tony Cotty from Sky Sports Soccer Saturday. And when I'm not working with Jeff Stelling and the boys, I'm listening to the Offside Rule podcast. Will we not know anything about football? Yeah, I'm laughing. Yeah. We will go on then to our topics. Shall we give a little teaser of what we're talking about? Yes. First of all, uh, fast movers. Uh, Michael Loudrop, we discussed uh, the Capital One Cup final. Well, let's talk about managers that have had a big impact very quickly. We'll start with that. We'll go on to our foreign favourites. I want you to both give me your top three foreign imports into the top flight and why. Why you've chosen them as your top three. We'll have a non-league roundup from Faker. Carruthers, we will also have this beautiful, gleaming, golden Oscars theme where we will award Oscars in different footballing adopted categories. Uh, you'll see what we've done. We've done our own take on that. And also, our foreign correspondent this week giving us a roundup of all things Bundesliga is Simona Felsberger, and she will be with us a little bit later on. Of course, Twitter topic of the week as well. Mm. We have so much to get through. Let's start. Um, first topic. We're going to go with fast movers. So Michael Laudrup, he took over as Swansea manager June last year. Within less than a year, he's returned silverware to the Welsh side. And I want you to choose a manager that has done something similar, starting with Hayley. A manager who I'm hoping will come back to the Premier League. He left as a player 
and will come back as a manager, I'm sure, but just not yet. He's doing everything in the correct way. If Sir Alex Ferguson has anything to do with it, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could be back at Manchester United or at a team perhaps in the Championship, but I'm thinking Premier League. I spoke to Sir Alex just a couple of weeks ago, actually, and he'd said the best way for players to go about things is to do their coaching badges whilst at a club and not go straight into management. Too many people go straight from playing straight into management, and it's just too much. Oli has done that, but on a much smaller scale. He's gone back to his native Norway, and he is managing Molde. He's had an unbelievable time there, I think it's fair to say. An absolute revelation back back at home. He took over at the start of last year with successive top flight championships, the first two in the club's 101-year history. This is down to his skill, his coaching, man management, and I think just the fact he is such a good person. People love him. Lots of people out there say there's just something about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He went back there. Yes, he wasn't a safe option in terms of somebody who's had managerial experience, but safe in terms of they were going to give him a time because he is an idol. He's absolutely loved. Uh, a bit like a Tony Mowbray at Middlesbrough. You're going to give the guy time because he's a hometown hero. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting to see what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer goes on to do next. But it's nice to see him quietly working his magic away from the spotlight of the British press. And maybe he'll stay there for another season or two and then work his way back to the Premier League. And we will see him at some point doing wonderful things so that is my manager okay kate who do you have so managers who have caused an instant success let's look at roberto di matteo you can't argue this one chelsea were struggling in all areas when he took over last season being 3-1 down to napoli after the first leg in their last 16 knockouts uh, round of the champions league um, but di matteo somehow uh, turned things around now his coaching methods may have been questioned at their and at and at West Brom too, I have to say. In terms of someone being an instant success, Di Matteo did it all. He turned around, of course, that fixture against Napoli, knocked out Barcelona along the way and went on to win the Champions League, something that Chelsea and Roman Abramovich had coveted for so long. He also lifted the FA Cup. A tremendous finish to the season in such a sort of a short amount of time. Let's not forget as well, he brought in Edin Hazard and Oscar um, uh, for the beginning of this season too, sacked after only eight months in charge. So an instant success. Still wasn't enough for you, Roman, though, was it? <laughs> it certainly wasn't. Um, assuming as we've got our Bundesliga theme this week and mm. our roundup coming up later on, I have gone with a Bundesliga manager and one of the hot property managers, I think, that exists in this uh, 2013 year, Jurgen Klopp, Borussia Dortmund. So 2008, his first season, he guided Dortmund to win the DFB Super Cup and defeated the German champions Bayern Munich in the process. Uh, he took the club as well to sixth in the league for that year fifth the next play season and after that successive Bundesliga titles 2010-11 and 2011-12 during 11-12 season he also amassed 81 points which is a record in Bundesliga for winning the title so what a manager what an impact I know that that's gone over a few seasons but if we just um, just focus it on the first season winning that DFB Super Cup and coming fifth in the first year I just think Jurgen Klopp is the man for me can I give you a quick one in League One as well? Because I don't want um, the leagues to think that we're ignoring them. Ronnie Moore at Tranmere Rovers took over in March last year. They now lie third in the League One table. They finished 12th last season. When he took over, though, in March last year, they were in 19th. He uh, only lost three of his matches remaining in that season and took them um, from four points above the relegation zone up to 12th. They're now third in League One. An instant success for Ronnie Moore at Tranmere Rovers. The female take on football. Next, we go on to foreign favourites. Well, the Premier League, it's been littered and flooded by foreign players over the years, hasn't it? Uh, Look at the past decade and look at who's come in and who has really made it their home. So three foreign imports that are your favourites and why? Starting this time with Kate Borset. Thank you, Lindsay. I'll start with one which is pretty damn obvious, but you can't talk about this kind of thing uh, without talking about one Eric Cantona. Just over 20... I didn't go for Eric. I did not go for Eric. 
Flaming glass. <laughs> Me neither. Ooh, ah, Cantona. Controversial. <laughs> oh la la, sacrambleur and many other French expressions. Uh, Eric Cantona arrived at Manchester United just over 20 years ago now, brought for £1.2 million in 1992, won four Premier League crowns uh, at Manchester United as well as two FA Cups. What I love about him, of course, he was a figure of much controversy. Remember the awful... Kung Fu kick uh, at the at the Crystal Palace fan at Selhurst Park in 1995. Well, of course, that saw him banned for quite a long time. But what did he do? His comeback season saw United trail Newcastle by 10 points going into Christmas. However, in typical Cantona and United style, they turned it around and he inspired them to another double. Eric Cantona, his excellence, his brilliance, his influence on the Premier League cannot be ignored. There are a couple of other obvious ones, but I wanted to mention a time that I remember fondly, and that was when the Italian imports came over. And I just remember it as a lovely flair time, lots of personality, lots of crazy Italian vibe going on. Gianfranco Zola, of course, coming into Chelsea quickly, integrated himself with the Chelsea uh, favourite there, scoring the winner in the 1998 Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, Gianluca Vialli never got on with Rude Hullet really at Chelsea, did he? But again, another great personality. And Fabrizio Ravanelli, one for Haley here, of course, at Middlesbrough. So Cantona and the Italian Revolution get my votes for best foreign imports. Okay, we're going to mix this up. I'm going to go next. Uh, we'll we'll end on Haley's. Um, in at number three, one of my favourite players, and you'll be pleased to know, Kate, it's a Liverpool player. <gasps> I've mentioned him many times. He is one of my favourite players ever. And I had a picture with his picture um, at Real Madrid <laughs> where I used one of the hearts on my tattoo because I heart him. Xabi Alonso is one of my favourite players. Your mum better not be listening, Lindsay. Oh, I know. I don't want a reminder about the tattoo. How could I not mention Xavi? Oh. Well, I have to say, so when he was at Liverpool, when he played in their starting eleven, Liverpool had a winning ratio of 58.1%. If only Rafa Benitez had taken more notice of this and the Liverpool bosses in the hierarchies because I don't think people realised what such a key player Alonso was for that side and since he went to Real Madrid he has been sorely missed. This is a player strong in defence, strong going forward excellent passing range boasted one of the best rates of successful tackles in the top flight Um, and he was absolutely in love with the club and that is the thing that I love about him. He told the Times back in 2011, hopefully I can transmit to my son what Liverpool means and how special it is as he was born in the city. So obviously it was very special to his heart and for me, Zabi Alonso has to come in at number three in my list. Number two would be Thierry Henry, um, Arsenal's top goal scorer, 228 goals. His stint in the Premier League made him a world-class player as well. It put him on the global stage. He won two league titles with the club, three FA Cups, but most importantly as well, any player that's nominated for FIFA World Player of the Year twice must be doing something right. He went on as well to captain the side in the final two seasons. So he comes in at number two. Number one for me is a player that Kate has already mentioned and I actually met him for the first time this weekend when I watched Watford play Derby. He's now Watford manager. Of course, I'm talking Gianfranco Zola. He was voted Chelsea's greatest ever player via a poll on their website, which thousands and thousands of Chelsea fans took part in. I think that says it all, really. So Alex Ferguson, Haley, for you, described him as a clever little so-and-so. Do you remember in post-match? <laughs> and for me, it was the magical wizardry of this player. I loved his impact in the top flight. Claudio Ranieri described him as a wizard actually so I'm sort of stealing that one and I think it's the nearest we'll ever get to sort of having a messy light player in the Premier League. He helped win four trophies, he scored the winner in the 98 European Cup Winners Cup final but most importantly for me he enjoyed it and he obviously loved the game he was playing and to link all three of mine for my top foreign imports, the one thing that links them all, they never played for any other English side. So Alonso, Liverpool, Henri, Arsenal, Zola, Chelsea. In contrast, mine that I'm going to start with actually played for quite a few teams and I'm pleased that he did. He came over and he sampled what Great Britain had to offer. I could have initially gone with the three that sprung to mind, which would be Schmeichel, Ronaldo and Cantona. But as it's all too Manchester United-centric, <laughs> had to think outside the box. I was like, maybe Thierry Henry I'll go for. But it was another Frenchman. And it involves Newcastle. And it doesn't involve the Frenchman at Newcastle right now. It is the gorgeous David Ginola. Oh, Ginola. Because I loved him. My mum loved him. Everybody loved Ginola. His wizardry 
as you've mentioned that word there, a sight to behold, captivated the crowds at not only Newcastle but Tottenham uh, as well. He was part of that Kevin Keegan's great entertainers era uh, up in the north. He headed to the north of London in 1997, then went on to help Spurs win the League Cup in 99, named PFA and Football Writers Player of the Year. Of course, he, when I say he travelled a little bit, he sampled Merseyside and the Midlands as well. So he sampled our beautiful country and we got the beautiful man. So there you go. I loved watching him, not just for his hair flying down the wings and for his talent, but for his beautifulness as well. Another player, I have to mention Manchester United and I have to mention Ronaldo. I've gone for players that I watched up closely, that I saw, that I've grown up with. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo arrived at Manchester United in 2003 for just over £12 million. It seemed like a lot that Sir Alex Ferguson had forked out on a relatively unknown player. There was lots of buzz and talk about him in, in Europe at the time, but not from fans, from scouting and people in the know. Um, he took a punt on him and he swapped uh, Manchester for Madrid six years later and they paid £80 million for him, which actually almost seems like a bargain now because of what he's gone on to achieve. Manchester United thought they had the best of him. Perhaps the best was then to come at Real Madrid. He did at Manchester United. Uh, scored 118 goals, including 42 in that famous season. Collected the Ballon d'Or award in 2008, which has been swiped off him by Lionel Messi for a couple of seasons. I think have... If Messi wasn't around, there'd be more talk of Cristiano Ronaldo. And people say, oh, but Ronaldo's never going to be Messi. Well, Messi's never going to be Ronaldo. He is my six-foot-one, hunky goal-scoring machine. In complete contrast, we're going from the northwest to the northeast, from Manchester United to Middlesbrough, from six-foot-one to (laughs) five-foot-five. You see, Chelsea had Zola, West Ham had Di Canio, Middlesbrough had Janino, the most loved player that Teesside ever saw. Over thousands and thousands of people, over 5,000 I think it was and a samba band turned up to the Riverside <laughs> when Janino decided to uh, come on and uh, play for Middlesbrough. What do you think Middlesbrough fans thought when this samba band turned up? <laughs> Flipping egg pet. What's going on here? Um, he was such a small player but made an absolutely huge impact of course. Um, Brian Robson did wonderful things at Middlesbrough. Okay, they didn't have the success of winning lots of silverware, but they got to plenty of cup finals, two in one season, in fact. Okay, they lost them both and got relegated, uh, but he still had a great time bringing in some wonderful talent. It was like a Brazilian revelation, a revolution even in in Teesside. It was, it was just quite wonderful. The thing I loved about Janinho, not just his trickery on the pitch, and it was something I'd never really seen before, but seeing him up close in a stadium and thinking, well, I've not seen him like this before and he really did dazzle he lived in Ingleby Barwick a large housing estate in Teesside his whole family moved over lived with his mum and dad as well just early 20s when he came over I think he was 22 years old Um, he was a runner up to Zola for the Football Writers Player of the Year uh, in 1997 and he came back to the club He was at the club for three times it was really a Janino trilogy so yeah that was it a magical era it was unsuccessful, unfortunately, for him in his first spell. He made his debut at Leeds. Unfortunately, his last game was against Leeds. He knew he was going. He had the World Cup to look forward to. He was crying on the pitch. All the fans knew that he had to leave. But I think the reason he was crying is because he didn't want to leave. He really felt like Teesside was absolutely home. But Janino, absolutely love him. What a lovely young man and wonderful footballer. And thank you for the happy times on Teesside. Aww. Some good choices there, ladies. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll take a quick interlude to go and catch up on everything non-league now. Now, in the last week since Faye Carruthers filled in for you, Hayley, and we had the live update, if you like, or as live, um, in that time, her beloved Luton, Paul Buckle left later on that afternoon that we recorded. John Still has now gone from Dagenham and Redbridge over to Luton. One of your favourites there, John. I know, one of my favourites. plenty of information to Lindsay Hooper, didn't he? If I get down there, I can get her some gossip. (laughs) Let's see what she makes of all of those moves and everything else non-league. Faye, what have you got for us? Yes, indeed. Interesting times at Kenilworth Road. As you say, Paul Buckle has left the building. John Still is the man tasked with getting Luton back into the league. I have been told it's a long-term appointment. Um, He was watching from the stands, though, when uh, Luton travelled to Braintree and lost 2-0. So hopefully, once uh, now he's in proper charge, we can get... 
get back to winning ways again. I think the playoffs, though, are out of reach. And as I record this, Luton 14 points away from fifth place, lying in 10th. 15 games left to play. Uh, and in this league, to be honest, anything's possible. But they do need a long, um, a long run to string together um, and for other teams to slip up as well. So I'm, I'm really pleased with John Still's appointment. I have to say, I've been impressed with him. I've interviewed him before. I quite like him. Um, it does amuse me slightly that sometimes he talks in the third person. Um, but, I'm, I, you know, I think he really can help us get out of this league. Um, it's going to be a tough ask uh, for it to be this season. Uh, I am being realistic, secretly hoping I might be wrong, but you never know. But this is about stability uh, now. So, fingers crossed, that's my Luton run over. I will talk about other teams. I'm very sorry. Uh, Wrexham have stretched their lead at the top uh, to two points after beating Barrow 1-0, despite being down to 10 men. Jay Harris is now going to miss four games for them. His manager not happy at all after his sending off. Grimsby keeping the pressure on them. They beat Ebsley 3-1. Kidderminster still in the mix as well. They're up to second. They beat Nuneaton and Mansfield beat Lincoln. Hereford beat Stockport, but Tamworth slipped up against Cambridge. Forest Green also lost to Woking. Uh, so, so far, Kidderminster, Grimsby, Mansfield and Newport occupying the playoff spots as it stands. Some other news lines around uh, this week and Stockport have signed midfielder Greg McDermott and winger Paul Marshall on no contract terms. Hyde have re-signed Danny Broadbent and Lee Fowler has returned to Forest Green Rovers on a month's loan from Doncaster. Wrexham and Grimsby have more exciting things than just the league to look forward to. They're gearing up for the FA Trophy final showdown. Both have a fantastic following and Grimsby's account manager uh, Steve Wraith reckons that Grimsby are going to take easily... 20,000 to Wembley, so uh, we'll see whether Wrexham can can match or exceed that. Uh, tickets are on sale for that game now. Um, I also understand that you have an Oscar theme this week, so I'm going to throw my, uh, my mine into the mix, uh, non-league-wise, and I'm going to go for Best Supporting Act as Matthew Barnes-Homer of Macclesfield. I'll explain why Supporting Act. He's not the leading scorer in the Blue Square Bet premiere, uh, so he can't be leading actor, but he has had a fantastic season. 15 goals in the league um, and three goals in the FA Cup, including the two goals in the win over Cardiff in the third round. So he, for me, is your Best Supporting Act. I'll be back next week with more from the non league i'm gary neville and you're listening to the offside rule thank you very much faye and we have got a bundesliga roundup still to come but we will conclude with our third jovial topic and it has got an oscars theme this week because of the oscars at the weekend by the way i have to drop into this i met daniel day lewis <gasps> what i know i interviewed him when he was in nine and he even made reference didn't he to not being in a musical again um because i don't think that that performance went down all that well but of course uh portraying abraham lincoln has gone down a storm and he gets best actor and a third time as well was he in any kind of character for your interview (laughs) no no he wasn't he's completely himself but a lovely humble man i have to say um but that's the little oscars thing but we're going to pimp up the oscars in a footballing style so here we go with category and what i want you to do girls is just give me very briefly who you would have as your nominee and we will put the nominees on the Facebook page and also we'll tweet out as well at Offside Rule Pod and get people to give us their opinions but also choose some winners for next week. How about that? First of all, best picture. This is going to be the most entertaining game of football that you've seen so far this season. A match that had it all. Um, I will start us off and I'll pass round clockwise. So that means Hayley McQueen, you're up next. Uh, I'm going to go through the Capital One Cup fourth round. Reading five, Arsenal seven. Have we all got the same? Okay, brilliant. Uh, In that case, I'll keep mine short because um, I was just going to say the Gunners coming from behind. Theo Walcott is all I've got to say. Hat-trick, 12 goals, four goals down after 36 seven minutes so to come back you're thinking no way and for me a game where Shamak scores twice has to go down in history because it just doesn't happen Um, but any more to add to that I just think it's absolute craziness I wasn't watching this game but my mum called me to chat about what she was having for dinner probably she was like Hayley are you watching this match and even my mum who's she does tend to watch a little bit of football she said I can't get myself away from the television yeah Arsenal scoring both their match-winning goals after 120 minutes. Who'd have thought it? 5-7. What a game. Any more to add? Only that my favourite bit was when uh, Olivier Giroud and Francis Coquelin threw their shirts into the jubilant Arsenal crowd at full time because they didn't think that there'd be extra time. They had to sheepishly ask for them back to play the extra 30 minutes. 
I also wanted to add another thing in about Marouane Chamat because I just think he's that awful. That that was his first goal in 13 months as well when he scored that brace. The first goal was his first goal in 13 months. Uh, best leading actor. Uh, who are we going to go for? This is, of course, our favourite player of the year. And I know that myself and Hayley are going to disagree with this. Who knows what Miss Borsay will come up with? Um, I'm going Gareth Bale all the way now. I think the performances over the last few weeks... It isn't just the last few weeks, though, Hayley. It is the season as a whole. And Spurs up there in the dizzy heights of the Premier League, fighting for a Champions League spot. And I think this is mainly down to this man, the Welsh influence that is Gareth Bale. And he is a player to behold. Whether Spurs can hold on to him or not for next season, I do not know. I think they're going to have big Spanish sides and potentially, potentially as well Italian sides knocking on the door for this player. I've gone with Robin Van Persie because (laughs) when he actually joined Manchester United, I will say I was not sceptical because I I knew he would go on and do great things, but worried about his injuries, worried that maybe what you're seeing at Arsenal, you just might not get at Manchester United. Um, And no disrespect to Arsenal, but by playing around slightly better players does make you a better player yourself. Sorry if this is um, completely derogatory um, to Arsenal. Um, He's exciting and I do not think Manchester United would be where they are now if it wasn't for Robin Van Persie. As simple as that. He'll never get it, but I'm going to go for Luis Suarez because he has been reinvigorated by the arrival of Daniel Daniel Sturridge, who comes a close second for me. And if I'm just to go with my club allegiances, he will never win it. But because he's the hero and the villain, I would probably go uh, with Luis Suarez. Um, Followed, if it wasn't for the fact that he'd gone to China, I would have a serious vote in there for Didier Drogba as well. Okay, uh, we're going to go for best supporting act. This is a player in the Premier League who's given the most assists, maybe the linchpin in a side who sets up goals and without them, their side would be significantly worse off. I've gone for one matter of Chelsea. Ten goals, ten assists, that says it all. That does say it all. (laughs) All I will say is two words, one matter. Brilliant. And thank you for being in my fantasy football side. Juan. I'm going to say Steven Gerrard, nine assists in the Premier League from 27 games. That gives him a ratio of 0.33. In the Premier League, um, just to let you know, Lucas Podolski um, scores best on ratio. Uh, nine assists from 24 games gives him a ratio of 0.38. But I'm going to go for Gerrard. Um, again, really enjoying his time under Brendan Rodgers. He's... His usefulness, his position, his influence over the Liverpool side is unquestionable. And for me, he wins Best Supporting Player. Next up, it's Best Staging. And this is your favourite stadium or the stadium that you believe has the best atmosphere this season. I am going for Goodison Park, Everton. I think it's been a fortress for them this season. And how happy and excited have the Everton fans been? Um, They've hardly contained themselves. And in all the games I've watched, I've thought that's looked like an amazing atmosphere. I wish I was there. I'm going for a Champions League night and Celtic Park. The decibel levels were literally through the roof. There was tears from Rod Stewart's. There was Barcelona's uh, defeat. It was just simply a wonderful, wonderful night for any football fan, I think, particularly for the Celtic fans taking a massive step towards, of course, the last 16 of the Champions League with that win. Victor Wanyama rose majestically headed that ball past Valdez from that corner. But the night was all about Tony Watt, this youngster that not many people knew about, came off the bench to give Celtic that famous, famous win. And it wasn't just about the result. It wasn't just about what it meant for the Champions League. It was about what it meant for the fans and the atmosphere. Literally, the decibel levels were screaming through the roof. It was quite wonderful. I love European nights of football and I know Anfield comes pretty close to those, but you're not playing in the Champions League right now. (laughs) Yeah, thanks very much, but we have a pretty good atmosphere most of the time at um, Anfield. In fact, our crowd often known as the 12th man. Uh, The one I'm going to go for, though, is a particular game and I'm going to rewind back to that Reading 5, Arsenal 7 scoreline from the Capital One Cup. It's called the Mad Stad for a reason and it must have been going absolutely Absolutely mad on that night. What an atmosphere it must have been in the Madstad. Okay, um, self-explanatory one next, best hair. Um, I'm going for Leighton Baines. 
Another Everton reference from me in this podcast. Uh, but Leighton Baines, like a young Trevor Francis, he's got a little bit of the Brit pop look going on and fuses my love with music and sport again, talking of those two, even though I said that football and music should never mix. Uh, Leighton Baines, on his head, it's OK. Balotelli's been one of those players, hasn't he, that has provided many a different hairstyle to keep us entertained. Every couple of weeks he changed his hair and his headwear as well. Uh, Yeah, fantastic. But one for me whose hair made more of a headline perhaps than his performance. Neymar comes over, expect big things from him at Wembley, but no. His hair was probably about, you know, was slightly more exciting than the actual performance that he put in. So there you go. I'm nominating Neymar for best hair. I could, of course, uh, plump for much action up top and go for Fellaini or Benoit Cotto, but I'm going to go for Michael Owen. Still a Stoke player. He may not feel like it, but still a Stoke player. Not necessarily the hair, but the tash. All in, all in the name of a good cause, of course. I half expected Colin Murray on Match of the Day 2 to shout Bas Hag when Michael Owen appeared with that massive handlebar tash. What a work of moustache expertise. Next up, ladies, it's best costume and we're inferring this in a football sense to mean the best football kit for the 2012-13 season. So which one has taken your fancy? I'll start us off. Um, I'm going with Swansea's away kit for this season. It's the red kit with the green stripes on the shoulders. Um, Very classic look, very nice. But the reason why I've chosen this as well, not only do I just love red as a colour anyway, um, but I also think that with it being Arsenal's colour, it's quite fitting that Swansea away wearing red as their away kit. They're playing Arsenal-style football and some would argue they're playing it even better than the Gunners this season. A lovely, beautiful, free-flowing football. Quite fitting to wearing red when we think of the Arsene Wenger-employed uh, style of football. But, of course, Swansea with the silverware in the cupboard this season. So that's why I've gone with them. Ooh, mine is a team who've gone from being the Blues to being in the pink. It's a Birmingham City's away kit for this season. Also, they've got, it's like a black kit, but with the pink. So the Birmingham City logo is in pink with pink piping. And the other kit, oh my goodness. So this third kit, along with the goalkeeper's kit, bright, bright pink. Like Barbie pink, like bubblegum pink. I'm not sure if I've actually seen them wear it this season yet or not, but I'm waiting for that day. It's supposedly the first time as well in Birmingham's history that they've ever used pink. So there you go. Pink creation, black trim from the Deodora world of sport. I wonder how many of those they've sold in the club shop. Uh, I'm going to go for Everton's away kit. It's black, it's sleek, it's stylish. It makes them look like Black Panthers, even Marouane Fellaini. I like it. And do you know what I like about Everton's top? It's the beautiful sponsored logo. It really brings out the best in that top. Looks very nice. On to our next category, best theatrical moment. We're talking a dive, the contesting of a sending off, anything really. And for me, it was all summed up with one man. We couldn't let him leave and go to AC Milan without another mention. Uh, Mario Balotelli, the Why Always Me t-shirt. How can we top that for a best theatrical moment? It caused so many headlines and it's still being talked about now. Uh, Can you top that, Hayley McQueen? I'm going with Gareth Bale. He may be a wonderful player, but the worst offender of diving in the league this season. Four dives, more than double any other player at this stage in the season, that dive in the game against Fulham. Gareth Bale, naughty man. He should have just carried on, but instead, no, he thinks, oh, everyone will think I've just gone down and there has been contact and I was nothing I could do about it but going down. But the cameras were there. We all saw it. He could have stayed on his feet. As Ray would say, stay on your feet, Mr Wilkins. Everyone accuses uh, Suarez, of course, of being a big old diver, but who would have thought that Gareth Bale, double any other player in the Premier League, eh? My moment of theatrics involves a Liverpool player, another one, John Joe Shelby. This is a moment that he should have left it alone. He got a red card uh, for a 50-50 tackle midway uh, through uh, United's game at Anfield against Liverpool. Liverpool, of course, lost that one eventually uh, 2-1, but he was sent off by referee Mark Halsey. 
Uh, the Reds man not happy with the decision and uh, he was involved in quite a few spats with United players before he left the pitch. So he started his theatrics there. He walked off the pitch and I don't know if you remember, he had a rather heated exchange with Sir Alex on the sidelines. Plenty of finger wagging there. Brave or stupid, who knows? John Joe Shelby afterwards tweeted and said, I have apologised to Sir Alex just where I come from. People don't grasp people up to get someone sent off. Accusing Sir Alex, of course, of dobbing him up to the referee. Okay. Um, Best save next. Now, again, another self-explanatory category. Um, What I want to point to is to a video on YouTube that you can look up, and I'd seen it some months ago, but I couldn't remember the team. I couldn't remember the goalkeeper. So this took me some time to do in my research. However, I did eventually find it. So I can tell you to save a lot of time as you're listening to this. Get on your on your YouTube account and put in Peru keeper Angelo Campos and it was against Uruguay. Um, you have to watch this video. It is hilarious. Um, it's We'll put it on Facebook if we can actually as Kate's signalling. You can say that out loud, Kate, rather than giving me a square and going Facebook. <laughs> um, face and doing the little kind of charades Facebook, book, opening the hands. We'll, we'll save that for Christmas. I know who I'm inviting to do charades in my team. Yes. Um, but yes, watching the video, he runs out um, and makes a bit of a goalkeeping howler to begin with because he runs out unnecessarily to try and get a ball. The player takes it round him, but as he thinks that he's got all the time in the world, this striker, to slot it into the goal, um, the keeper, um, Campos, manages to get back. Not only does he manage to stop it crossing the line, he sort of dives into the back of the net in the process, re-emerges again to save the follow-up shot. It is worth a view. So that's a YouTube clip for you to have a look at when you've got a spare five minutes. Mine is an overall performance. It's not just a save, but a goalkeeper who saved a game, in fact. Uh, David De Gea, Manchester United's player. He has been much criticised. The fans not sure, but he's got big, big gloves to fill, hasn't he? Edwin van der Sar went before him. You've also had the likes of the great Peter Schmeichel. So when you are a Manchester United keeper, you are expected to almost be the best keeper in the league. However, he has had his criticisms. But this was a game where he returned home to Madrid big Atletico Madrid fan, of course, started his career out there in Spain, born and bred in Madrid, went on to face Real Madrid, who had 29 shots in that game that finished up one all. Just the one went in, 14 of those on target. There was a wonderful save made by him, actually. It was described by Sir Alex Ferguson as world-class. I think it was Fabio Contrao, and he just acrobatically got to the ball and just tipped with his fingertips uh, over the top of the bar there. So I think that was a game that David De Gea really needed, not just for Manchester United to hopefully progress through in the Champions League, but for his confidence and for his future as a possible great Manchester United. Remember, he's still very young, but this was the one game that really put him on the back pages of the newspapers and deservedly so. So I was very happy for him. Maybe his coming-of-age game. Uh, Kate? Well, I'm going to mention a game that we've already referenced in the podcast already when Celtic met Barcelona in the Champions League. The person, of course, I'm singling out for special praise, Fraser Forster, the Celtic goalkeeper. He was great in the second leg, of course, but the first leg just edged it for me in terms of his heroics, holding his nerve at the new Camp in front of what must have been a pretty intimidating atmosphere. OK, he let in a couple of goals, but he pulled off a couple of great saves. The one I'm going to mention specifically, Pedro Rodriguez... Uh, with a low cross found Messi on the six-yard box. Uh, And a second Barcelona goal at that stage seemed inevitable. It was one all at at that point in the game. But Forster stuck out a hand and somehow denied the Argentine. From point-blank range, Messi was denied by Forster's hand. Um, Hard to choose between a couple of Messi attempts in that game. One thing that's just stuck in my head as a bit of a horror moment. When Celtic scored through Georges Samaras, Neil Lennon's wearing quite a tight tracksuit and he vigorously sort of pumped his body backwards and forwards let's just say he should have been wearing control pants because I saw rather too much Oh, eagle eyed. <laughs> um, final category, footballing Oscars, ladies, is best monologue. We're talking a manager, a player that has given an outstanding, memorable, or somewhat silly uh, post match press conference, mixed zone interview, anything like that, so you can draw upon your, your knowledge from this season. Um, for me, it has to be one man only. There was one video that went viral this year to top any other. I, I challenge you to top this one. It's 
I'm, of course, uh, referring to Monsoir Joey Barton oh. and his press conference in French for Marseille. Um, it couldn't have happened to a nicer chap, could it? Having a bit of ridicule on the internet. And he loves a bit of a tweet, so I imagine how many people tweeted him with a bit of jesting and jibing. Um, nothing too mean, but we, we like to give him a bit of shtick. Um, and I, I just thought that was really hard to top. So best monologue for me, Joey Barton in Marseille, that post-match press conference that we will all never forget and never stop viewing when we have five minutes. Oh, I like your monsoir joke, monsieur. <laughs> well done on getting that in. He had two, mons two, Joey. <laughs> he actually claimed afterwards that he did it on purpose. He said, oh, my mate put me up to it. He said to put on a bit of a French accent doing the conference, but he no. He said he'd seen Steve McLaren <laughs> um, and decided to emulate it. Yeah, no, we don't buy that. No, we definitely don't. Mine is Sir Alex Ferguson. I would never diss Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm not dissing him here at all, but it was just a wonderful thing that he came out with after the game. Do you remember that match where Robin Van Persie was nearly killed? <laughs> Murdered, even. Murdered. Yeah. yeah. Ball to head. Yeah, well, apparently... <laughs> Ashley Williams attempted to break the neck of Robin Van Persie with that kick of the ball, which was at close range and could have broken his neck. And Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, after that game, <laughs> Manchester United against Swansea, uh, it was a one-all draw, so he obviously wasn't happy about dropping the points, had said, in the Van Persie situation, you can clearly see that he could have been killed. Loved it. He's just trying to protect him, isn't he? He's so precious. He does not want anybody getting anywhere near his star player or players and was trying to protect him and make sure that nobody does that again or else you get the wrath of Sir Alex. Best monologue, best drama queen. Ah, yes. The king... <laughs> the drama king. Yeah. And it was such a massive news story, of course, because Sir Alex had come out and basically accused Ashley Williams of attempted murder that we had a head injury specialist in on Sky News to, oh, to yeah. comment about it. And now, apparently, Manchester United have been linked with Ashley Williams. He could be on his way to Old Trafford. I'd be absolutely bricking it if I was Ashley Williams. <laughs> You're not really here because of contract negotiations. You're here because I'm going to give you a face-to-face -face rollicking. This could be the ultimate revenge where Fergie buys him and just sits him on the bench. You're not going to kick anyone there, are you, Ashley? Uh, I'll move on to mine. Arsene Wenger, apoplectic in the pre-match press conference. Oh, yeah. In the pre-match press conference before Bayern Munich uh, a week or so ago. Um, now, the uh, waiting journalists tried to ask him about the game. They also tried to ask him about uh, his um, proposed contract extension of another two years. He wouldn't answer questions about that. He ended up by saying that he wouldn't answer questions about the Bayern Munich game either. So goodness knows what these poor waiting journos were there to do in Wenger's eyes. I was watching back clips today and he really, really loses it. And actually, if Arsenal either finish outside the Champions League places or go on to have a terrible run of form for the rest of the season, you'll look at that Arsene Wenger moment, a bit like Rafa Benitez's fact moments and a bit like Kevin Keegan's I will love it moments. And you'll pinpoint that moment as the moment that Arsene Wenger lost the respect of the public and of his team as well, perhaps. Come back, though, actually. He came back with quite a s solid, fun, humorous press conference. I remember just last week he came in. I was thinking, oh, he's going to explode. He's going <laughs> to carry on this, this rant and he's going to come out with some crazy stuff in his conference. And actually, he was back to the old Arsene Wenger. So maybe he watched that and thought, oh, dear. Oh, you dear. would, though, wouldn't you? Mm. So those are our nominations for the categories that we're going to put up on the Facebook page and on the Twitter account at Offside Rule Pod. We would love your thoughts. So as you're listening to this and you've been scribbling away, nodding in agreement or shaking your head vigorously, thinking, what are they saying? There's a definite more obvious person. We want to hear from you. So get in touch. And then what we'll do is Twitter Topic of the Week next week will reveal and the winner is... Are you going to wave frock? Oh, yeah. Let's get dressed up. Whoop, whoop. I've got Giorgio Armani coming in to measure me up this afternoon for my one. Primani's coming in to help me out. I'm going to have a Halle Berry creation. I loved her dress at the Oscars. Uh, so anyway, we'll we'll talk and we'll we'll reveal the winners and hopefully agree with them and see what happens on Twitter. Talking of the Oscars, didn't you love that Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas gave a shout-out to, to Swansea at the yeah. Oscars? Oh, it's all a PR stint. I'm sorry. 
No, I think they genuinely do look out for Swansea. No. no. <laughs> anyway, it was nice for them to get a mention. Um, so thank you for that. It's time now for us to catch up on all things Bundesliga, things that have been happening in Germany over the last few weeks. It's been a little while. Let's catch up with things. And Simona Felsberger has all the latest news. Hello, ladies. There's been one game everyone here has been talking about. Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. The most anticipated cup quarterfinal took place on Bayern Munich's 113th birthday and it was quite clear what present they were hoping for. They were wanting taking revenge for last year's cup final disaster. It was a highly tactical and fair match but Bayern Munich clearly dominated. They were aggressive and motivated at least in the first half when we saw Arjen Robben scoring in the 43rd minute. Second half, Dortmund played better, put a little bit more pressure on Bayern, but Bayern managed to hold off any comeback. So 1-0 to Bayern, final result. In the other cup match, VfB Stuttgart moves forward to the semi-finals, beating VfL Bochum over a deserved 2-0 win, and Freiburg and Wolfsburg will join them too. Other news is FC Nürnberg is apparently talking to Schalke 04 ex-coach Hoop Stevens about a move to Nürnberg next season. And finally, rumors are confirmed that BVB star striker Robert Lewandowski will be leaving Dortmund next season or 2014 latest. Now I know you're doing Oscars this week, so I'm going to pitch in too. I would like to award Thorsten Frings, who just ended his career, for best hair. Google him, he's got the best fringe, that's for sure. Well, that's it for now. Talk to you in March with more news and facts. Thank you very much, Simona. And we will, before we go, do our Twitter topic of the week. And this one had a picture theme, so we're going to have to encourage people to go onto our Facebook page, which is the Offside Rule. And on Twitter, we're at Offside Rule Pod. Give us a follow. Uh, we also update you nowadays, if you notice, girls, with all the scores as they happen, because we've got a new team on board. And it's a great resource if you can't get to watch the football. But I digress. Let's get on to Twitter topic of the week. And it was down to Wayne Routledge. He inspired this one because he tweeted a picture saying we did it after the Swansea result amazing day hashtag and put up a great picture and it inspired us to say have you won a football trophy in the last year maybe Uh, it doesn't matter how small the league we have asked everybody to get in touch with their team what they won and possibly a picture with the coveted trophy Um, well I can't say that we were inundated with pictures with our gallery section a bit like Tony Hart of yesteryear or for more of our modern audience Art Attack maybe or Blue Peter. I have a picture I'm going to put up, actually. It's me when I was three with the FA Cup. And in fact, it's bigger than me, I think. (laughs) Well, it's almost bigger than me. And there's another one I've got. And I think it might be the League Cup or the Milk Cup at the time. And I was even younger than three. And I was sat in it with my chubby little legs (laughs) over the end and a little little hat on, a little silver hat from the top of the cup. Beyonce-esque. Leg, legs out the glass. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Lady Gaga outfit, doesn't it? Yeah. I can't wait to see a three-year-old Hayley with the FA Cup. Um, back to this one. So we have got a picture that has Matt D'Angelo in it. You remember EastEnders? Oh. I, I must confess, I don't know which one of these it is. It's, I think it's this one. Mark Hutchinson got in touch at Hutchie18. And he said, this one, old Chigwellian's third 11. They got the DW trophy. And there's a picture that you can see on our offside. Well, we'll make sure that we make these available on the uh, Facebook page and the uh, Twitter account as well. Christian Gunn got in touch saying Sealand winning the Bavaria Cup against Alderney and Matt D'Angelo actually does feature in this picture. I got it wrong. So this is the one to look out for. And John Hibbs did go off kilt on the topic because he went back to 1987, which isn't the last 12 months, but he was age nine. I I think we should have just widened the net here to get more pictures (laughs) in. But he was player of the year and his sister Vicky Hibbs got in touch on Twitter to give us that picture. It is really cute. Um, So you do keep sending us them and we'll continue to put them up, but you've missed the podcast you won't get a mention i wonder if david may's written and he loves getting into a trophy shot doesn't he He was the never really involved with manchester united yet he takes pride in place in all the photographs from that famous 1999 season (laughs) and thanks very much girls thank you to Haley. thank you thank you to kate thank you very much i'll see you both next week and remember we're out every thursday get downloading get telling your friends we're on soundcloud itunes and of course twitter at offside rule pod bye for now the offside rule we get it Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Produced by Sarah Grun.